So we know that Yom Kippur, it's, it's hard for us to relate to this 100% because for us today, uh, in our lives, Yom Kippur is more about a day of fasting and prayer in the synagogue. But the truth is that um, before, you know, when, when, when the temple stood and before the Jews were exiled, fasting was one, one element of Yom Kippur. But really, the focus of Yom Kippur, all eyes were turned to Jerusalem, and that's where it all went down. And that's where the service, I mean, everyone prayed on Yom Kippur, everyone fasted. But the intensity of the day and the focus of the day was, was what was going on at the temple and the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, getting ready and doing all the sacrifices. And in fact, things that ordinarily were done by a regular Kohen, a regular priest on Yom Kippur were done by a high priest. So we'll start with source one. And we're going to focus today on the incense uh, offerings that uh, was done, not the incense type that people are excited about on today, 420, but, uh, but the uh, incense offerings that, uh, that was done, the holy, holy incense offerings that was done in the Beit HaMikdash. Um, we'll share the screen. Text one. Source one. God said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to indiscriminately enter the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, concealing the ark, and he will not die. For in a cloud, I will appear on the ark's cover. Aaron should enter this inner sanctuary with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must wear a sacred linen tunic and linen pants, gird himself with a linen sash, and bind his head with a linen turban. These are sacred garments. He must immerse in water and then don them. He shall take a pan full of fiery coals from the altar before God, before Hashem, and a double handful of fine ketoret incense and bring them beyond the curtain. And he shall place the incense on the fire before Hashem. The ketoret smoke will envelop the cover of the Ark of Testimony and he will not die. Okay, so that is the source, the verses. I, I'm not sure. I know that uh, a lot of you are very learned and, and knowledgeable, so you can correct me. But I think the expression, you guys have heard the expression, they went into a room, go fight it out until there's white smoke coming from the room, like until you figure it out. You ever heard that expression? Like when two people are have to work out a deal? I think that the source of that expression, until there's white smoke coming out, I think, I'm not sure, comes from this idea of the white smoke that would rise up from the Holy of Holies, from the Kodesh Kodeshim and Yom Kippur. So this is the work. Now, we have to understand that the work of the Kohen Gadol, he had a lot of pressure on him. He was one human being representing the entire Jewish people on the holiest day of the year in the holiest place. We could not afford to take chances if he would do this right or not. So seven days before Yom Kippur, he would have to go through a training process and prepare and plan for it. And part of that process, there was a group of elders that would sort of vet him out and make sure he was appropriate. Now, another thing I should add before we get move on to the next text is that there is a difference between the time of the first temple era and the second temple era. The first temple era, 
it sort of went in, uh, what's the word when it goes like father to son lineage? There's a word for it. There's, a, there's an English word for it. I, I, I forget right now, but it, it passed down in, in sort of the legacy. The second temple era, it, it still had to be done by a Kohen, by a priest, but it was sort of something that was more available. If you had a lot of money and you had a lot of influence, you could actually buy the opportunity, the zechut, to be the Kohen Gadol for Yom Kippur. And that's where things got a little bit more tricky because maybe someone who had a lot of money bought the opportunity, gave money to be the opportunity. The second temple, things were not like they were in the first temple. And then we had to make sure that this guy knew what he was doing. But the biggest concern was that maybe he was a sadduce, a tzeduki in Hebrew. One of those heretics that interpreted the Torah in the literal way and not the way it was meant to be interpreted, the way that the Torah was interpreted orally together with the written Torah. And that was a big concern. We'll go to text two. So let's see how they dealt with this. How did the elders respond to this concern that they had? Source number two. So this is taken from Maimonides. Heresy sprung up in Israel in the second temple era, and the Sadducees emerged. May they speedily perish, who rejected the oral law. They maintained that the Yom Kippur incense, incense sorry, is first placed on coals in the outer sanctuary, outside the curtain of the Holy of Holies, and when its smoke rises, it is brought into the Holy of Holies. You follow, guys? So they felt that the way to do this was to first do the, the ketoret, first uh, put the, the coals outside the Holy of Holies, and then walk into the Holy of Holies, walk into the Kodesh Kodeshim. Their rationale was based on Torah's phrase for in a cloud I will appear on the ark's cover. They understood this as a reference to the cloud of incense. But our sages learned from the oral tradition that the incense is to be placed on the coals in the Holy of Holies before the ark, as the verse states, and he shall place the incense on the fire before God. Since the high priests of the second temple era were suspect of heresy, the elders would have him take an oath on the, so this is how they dealt with the issue. They would have him take an oath on the day preceding Yom Kippur. They would tell him, my sir, the high priest, we are agents of the court and you are our agents and an agent of the court. We administer an oath to you in the name of he who causes his name to dwell in this house, obviously God, that you not deviate from our instructions. The high priest would turn away and cry because they suspected him of heresy. And they would turn away and cry because they suspected a person without knowing his opinions. Maybe he had no such thoughts in his heart. This is what Maimonides says. Now, just to, to, to give a little bit further context, uh, just so you understand, the Sadducees, for example, they did not believe in anything that was not in the written Torah. So, for example, Mashiach, they didn't believe in Mashiach. They didn't believe in reward and punishment because the whole concept of reward and punishment, they didn't, I mean, they, they took it, the, the God said, if you follow my statutes, I will do good for you, but not in the way that we believe in reward and punishment in the world to come in Olam Abba. They also, for example, tefillin, right? The men who put on tefillin would put it in between their eyes, literally, like down on your nose, not or higher up. That's the way they translated that word. Eye for an eye, they translated in the literal sense. If you, if you damage someone's eye, you have to damage their eye. Not that it was like compensation. Okay, you get the point. 
So this was a big issue. Now the question is, the question that we are asking is, why did they cry and why did he cry? Why did they cry? In other words, they were doing what they had to do. The Torah says that they need to make sure that the tradition was, we need to make sure that this guy is not up to no good. He's going to represent the entire Jewish people. There's only one Kohen that's going to represent the Jewish people on Yom Kippur. And we only have one chance at this. He's got to get it straight, right? So they had the responsibility that they had to have him administer this. So why are they crying as if they did something wrong? And why is he crying? He knows if he didn't do anything wrong, he knows he didn't do anything wrong. Why is he crying? We need to understand this. And if they're doing what they need to do, then they should be confident in what they're doing and there's no room for crying. So perhaps we can understand this. There, you know, you ever heard the expression where there's smoke, there's fire, right? I'm sure you guys have all heard that expression, right? Meaning to say that if, if there's some level of a concern that I have about someone, about something, then perhaps even if they're not 100% guilty for that crime, maybe there's some level of complicit in some level. And we'll read source number three. Take a look. The Talmud tractate Moed Katan. Rabbi Ruven ben Itzrobli said, a person won't be suspected of something unless he did it. If he did not do it fully, he did it partially. If he did not do it partially, he planned to do it. And if he didn't plan to do it, he saw others do it and he was happy. These are very, very harsh words. But nevertheless, that's what the Talmud says. In other words, so when we see this, what the Talmud says, and then also taking into consideration how, um, how significant the work specifically of the incense was. There's a Midrash and other Midrash that we don't have time to read where God said of all the sacrifices that you offer, the Ketoret is the most beloved. The incense is the most beloved to me. So therefore, they did not have, they, did, they, couldn't, they couldn't afford to get this wrong. So how do we understand this? Let's take a look at uh, explanation of the Rebbe. This is taken from a talk in 1955. The explanation, the high priest would turn away and cry because as the sages taught, a person won't be suspect unless. In other words, if you are suspected, you clearly are somewhat capable of it. If it was indeed out of the question, you would have never been suspected of it. And they would turn away and cry. They were compelled to administer the oath, despite the unpleasantness of the exchange, to ensure that Yom Kippur service in the Holy Volumes was executed properly. <laughs> For the Ketoret service of the high priest and the Holy Voice is the most important service that has profound implications for the Jewish people's upcoming year. The high priest's bull and ram had various levels of significance. There was the sacrifice of the high priest, of his household, and of his tribe, and of the entire people of Israel, and other sacrifices as well. However, the Ketoret service on Yom Kippur was a singular service that was carried out only once a year on the holiest day, in the holiest spot in the Holy of Holies. By the most sanctified Jew in the nation, the holy nation, as the verse states, and Aaron was separated to be sanctified as holy of holy. Because of the lofty nature of the service, it was important to do everything possible to ensure that it was carried out correctly, even if it would imply that we suspect another Jew, guys. So basically, what are we saying? Before we continue to the next piece, we're saying, even if we have to, God forbid, suspect another Jew, who we have no reason to suspect necessarily. In other words, 
aside from the fact I will tell you that factually one year there was a coin that actually did this. He was a Stuki. He was an undercover Stuki, an undercover Sadducee, and or Sadducee, however you say it. And he actually he offered the incense outside of the Holy of Holies. But this guy who we're sitting with, this random dude who we're sitting with, who's not a random dude, he's, he's about to be a Kohen Gadol, right? We have no reason to suspect him. However, we're still going to make him say this oath and promise that he's not going to do it because we can't afford to take a chance. But on the other hand, and here's the punchline of tonight's class, on the other hand, nonetheless, I'm going back to the source, nonetheless, they retained their feelings of Ahavat Yisrael. They were profoundly disturbed by the fact that they needed to suspect another, another Jew, even by the command of the Torah to the point that they were moved to tears, which according to Kabbalah represents extension of our intellect. In other words, the more they contemplated the matter, the more they could not contain their distress to the point that it was expressed through tears. Here we see the great value of loving your fellow. The teaching speaks of the day before Yom Kippur, when everyone is occupied with their preparations for the Holy Day of Forgiveness. The elders of the court were making the final preparations <coughs> to ensure that the Yom Kippur Ketorot offering in the Holy of Holies would be carried out properly. And they therefore administered the oath to the high priest. And after they had fulfilled the Torah given obligation in a matter to significant and so significant and so vital, they would leave in tears because they were forced to suspect another Jew. And this was canonized as a ruling by Maimonides regarding the Yom Kippur service. If we need a lesson about the significance of loving your fellow, this one law will do. As said, the physical temple no longer exists, but nevertheless it is represented in a spiritual form through our thoughts and speech and prayer. And even in action by fulfilling deeds that aren't limited to the temple era. The same is true here. We learn a powerful lesson about the significance of loving your fellow. So the message is very clear. The message is clear. The elders that were doing this cross-examination and prepping of the Kohen for the service, they had to do what they had to do. If they would not have, if they would not have forced him to make this oath, then they would not be responsible. That would not be responsible for them. But you know what? Just because they had to do that, it doesn't mean that they lose their heart. It doesn't mean they become a, 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 a ruthless human being that doesn't have a heart. And being humans and Jews that, that care for other people, when they had to do this to the Kohen, when they had to force him to make this oath, they knew how painful it must have been for him and they knew how painful it was for them that they had to potentially accuse someone of doing something wrong when they had not done anything wrong. So yes, they had to do it and they were confident in doing it, but they still were, it brought them to tears, the fact that they had to do this to another Jew. And from here we learn a powerful lesson. And the point is, sometimes we need to rebuke someone. Sometimes we need to tell someone off. And we know we're doing the right thing because we know that what they're doing is wrong. But it doesn't mean we have to lose our sensitivity. It doesn't mean we have to lose 
who we are as people. We have to remember the context of who we are, are and why we're doing what we're doing and why we may need to call them out or why we may need to stand up for Torah. We may need to stand up for the truth. Not we may need to. We must stand up for the truth, stand up for what's right, stand up for what's just. But understand the sensitivity of the human being that's that's there and that's that that you that needs to be addressed this and needs to be faced with this have a great week uh if anybody has anything to share please the mic is yours